0: Welcome everybody to today's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. I've got something a little bit different for you this week. I decided rather than do a full on market update and all of that kind of stuff like I do every other week, I want to talk about something very important. And that is the way that we build our portfolios. Now this podcast series, this masterclass series is called Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. And the reason I do it is because I want you to be more intelligent. Now we have to be very, very on our ball in order to get the best results. The more we know about anything, the better results we're going to get. So in this masterclass, I specifically want to focus on how we build our portfolio and how we protect it. Now, I know that's a little bit off what I normally do every week, but I really seriously want you to take a lot of notice as to what I do this week, because regardless of whether you're in business, whether you've got a share portfolio, or whether you are a hardcore property investor like myself, what I'm gonna talk about now will either save you a lot of money, protect the assets that you've got, and potentially set you up so that you are tax efficient and be able to maximise all of your investing. So let's get into the masterclass. All right, I'm just going to share my screen with you and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Here we go. All right. Now, as you can see, uh, in this masterclass, this is what we're going to be covering. So it's not the usual, as I say, um, I'm going to be talking about how to protect these these uh, investments that you're building up. Now, this is regardless whether they are international shares, property, whatever. There's uh, the, the stuff I'm going to go through now is vital for everything that you do, regardless of whether it's property or not. So first of all, I thought I'd share with you some pretty frightening statistics, actually. And the first one here is that the average business owner in Australia gets sued about three times in their lifetime, with a greater than 50% chance of a devastating lawsuit completely wiping them out. That doesn't scare you, I don't know what does. Now, maybe you're not in business, maybe you think, well, that doesn't apply to me. One in every four people on average gets sued, not just business people. And there is a lawsuit happening roughly every minute in Australia. Now that is scary. We're not as scary though as the US. Uh, There's some US statistics that have come out that say, statistics show that somewhere between 36% to 53% of small businesses are involved in at least one litigation in any given year and 90% of all businesses are engaged in litigation at any given time by Forbes magazine. So you can see it's a pretty big issue And uh, lawsuits are not just for business people. It's not just for uh, those who have a lot of assets. People getting sued over crazy things all the time. Now, over the last two centuries, 90% of the world's millionaires have been created by investing in real estate. In recent years, it's been a little bit different because what we've seen is a lot of the tech companies have taken over with Alassian and places, people like that. But the average investor it's real estate that's going to make them wealthy. So that's where I'm focusing my attention right now. Now, when we look at Australia, Australia is the second most litigated country in the world. Obviously, America is the most litigated, but New South Wales is actually the third most litigated state in the world, would you believe? Um, And the main areas of litigation come from business ownership, they come from property ownership, and they come from defamation, And in fact, Sydney has just become the defamation capital of the world. We have more defamation lawsuits in Sydney than any other city in the world. We actually took over from London, which is kind of crazy. And personal actions involving motor vehicles comes in at number four. So let's deal with those major ones first. Now, if you're going to go and set up business, most of you will be in circumstances where you go to your accountant and you go, well, what structure do you think I should use? look, unfortunately, most of the time you get the wrong answer. I am an accountant, I am an economist. And you know, I've been through the ropes just like anybody else. I've been through the same university degrees and postgraduate degrees and whatever else. But the thing is, most of the mainstream education doesn't cover what's actually happening litigation wise in, in this country. Litigation is moving so fast that our educational system is just not keeping up with it. You go to your accountant and some of people will say, oh, I'll just pop it in your No name will get you an ABN, you know, that's all you need to do. (coughs) And when you get a little bit bigger, then we'll pop it into something else. That's incredibly dangerous. Because anything happens within the business, I'm sorry, but you lose everything you have in your own name. Because an ABN, it's not a separate legal entity. It's just you with a number. That's it. So all your personal assets are up for grabs. And when we start talking about a partnership, well, my God, that's worse. A lot of accountants will talk you into putting it into a partnership because what they see is that in a partnership, they're able to split the income between the partners and obviously reduce tax. Well, tax is not the only consideration. What you have to take into account is asset protection. And even if it's a husband and wife scenario, if one of you goes down, you both go down. Not even one of you has the ability to be able to, you know, continue to borrow and buy assets and build the portfolio. So partnerships are incredibly dangerous. And if even if you and I go into a partnership together, we're joint and severally liable for the actions of each other. And I'm afraid that's, you know, the, just having a, a bank account together can be enough to, to say that you're in partnership together. There's been lots of law cases around that, and it's crazy. Now, some accountants will say, pop it into a company. Company cost you about $1,000 to set up. And look, it is a separate legal entity. What it does is it separates your assets away from your liabilities, or it separates that business away from your other assets. But the trouble with a company is they've got a few downfalls. One is, they're a pain in the neck from an accounting perspective, but put that aside. There's only a couple of ways that you can get money out of a company. So that is either through wages, which means you're paying personal income tax rates, through a loan, which you're covered under Division 7A, or through, um, through dividends, which, you know, the, then you're gonna be taxed at your marginal tax rate, but you get your credit for whatever the company's paid. They're, in, they're a little bit expensive to shut down, um, and they, they cover a lot of rules. So they're all legitimate reasons why, administration-wise, they're a bit of a pain in the neck. But what's more important is they pay double capital gains tax. So if you're looking at uh, selling that appreciating asset sometime down into the future, you're going to pay double the amount of capital gains tax as anybody else. So that kind of puts them in the no-no territory. Some accounts will talk about trust. Now there's. there's heaps of trusts, different types of trusts in Australia. I will talk about some of them with you today, um, just very briefly, because trusts and and a particular type of trust is going to be the best available for you, particularly when we're talking about business and property. So let's move on to the next one. Let's talk about how business can really be affected. Now, in Australia, we are typically underinsured when it comes to businesses. Um, And a lot of things go, a lot of company, a lot of businesses go broke simply because they don't have the right insurance or they don't have enough insurance. So let me talk about a, a particular situation. Now, this really applies to property, even though it's a business I'm talking about. This particular business made um, she, he was a sheet metal manufacturer. He was in my accountancy practice years ago, and he had a fire in his warehouse. Now, look, the fire did quite a bit of damage, did about eighty thousand dollars worth of damage. Nobody got hurt, nobody got killed, anything like that. But what happened was he lodged his claim with the insurance company, and the insurance company said, "Well, you're in, you know you're insured for three hundred, and I know your claim's only for eighty, but the fact is you should have been insured for somewhere around five hundred thousand. So you're technically underinsured." And what that means is if you're underinsured, then um, you only get the percentage that you're insured. So in his case, he was two-fifths underinsured. Should have been 500. He was insured for 300. He's two-fifths underinsured. So what that means is of his $80,000 claim, he only gets paid two, the three-fifths that he was insured. Now, that meant he had to go and borrow the rest of the money against his home. But here's where the story really gets interesting. He then um, got sued by his landlord for two fifths of damage to his building. He got sued by the next door neighbor's landlord for two fifths damage to his building. And he got sued by the next door neighbor's tenant for two fifths of the damage to his stock. So, all in all, that came up to about $120,000. Now, I don't care how wealthy you are, having to fork out an extra $120,000 in any one particular year is crazy. And, you know, that's the effect of underinsurance. I had a lady come to me at one of my seminars. And she gave me this big hug and I said, what's, what you, what, you know, what's, what's happening? And she said, well, I just wanna thank you. He said, I listened to you talk about underinsured at one of your seminars. And she said, I went home and I checked my insurance policies and I had a house out in Penrith. She'd bought it years ago for about 140,000 and was still only insured for $140,000. It was worth probably 500 at the time and she had a $350,000 mortgage on it. So had she gone and not fixed that because the thing burned down about six months later, she would have been bankrupted. Just like this guy that I told you about, had that fire burnt down half the the street, he would have been bankrupted. So really super important, make sure that you check that, make sure that you are not underinsured. And the thing to look for is that you are insured to at least replacement value, really super important. Let me tell you a story about an, uh, an earth moving company. And this was in the North Shore in Sydney and they're in partnership. So they owned everything in their own, you know, their husband and wife names. They owned a home, they owned a business together, they owned a piece of land where they ran the business from and they owned all the trucks and dots and excavators and all the equipment. Now one day they're happy digging away and they dug up the main fiber optic cable that connects Sydney to Canberra. Now you may not think that's a big problem, but I tell you what it was. They got sued for $20 million. Now, they lost, obviously, um, and they went bankrupt. So what could they have done differently? Because everything was owned in their own name, they lost everything. Had they uh, they had their home, put that in the wife's name, keep her out of the business. She's um, She's the lowest risk profile. And with her, there's other things you can do to protect that asset then put the business in a separate legal entity, and the equipment in a separate legal entity and the land in a separate legal entity. And then when the poo hit the fan, then uh, all they had to do was to close the business because everything else was owned elsewhere. They could rent the land from another entity, they could hire the equipment from another entity. So there was nothing to lose. Well, they'd lose a $250 registered business name, but that's about it. So that's a huge, huge, um, burden that's been taken away. And I'm telling you, this is how the top end of town works. What's got to happen is you guys with businesses and property have to wake up and start operating your affairs the same way. Let's have a look at property. Now, that's a, <laughs> this is a funny picture, obviously, if those of you are looking at it in the uh, on Facebook or on um, on YouTube or on my website. For those of you who are on Spotify or on iTunes listening to this podcast, you can imagine a balcony falling onto a tr- onto a tr- a, um, a car. Now, this was that's not the actual picture, but this is what happened. There was a case in Victoria where uh, there was a similar one in, in Queensland too. But I'll tell you about the Victorian one first. The uh, young couple go out to buy their first investment property and the building inspection report says it's got a rickety balcony and needed fixing. Didn't meet code, no problem. Um, they'd been to their accountant and the accountant said, them, look, just pop it into your own names. That way we can claim the negative gearing and it's gonna be better for tax. So that's what they did. Well, the thing is uh, they didn't get around to fixing the thing, they put tenants in there. One of the tenants fell off the balcony uh, hurt themselves, sued the owners of the property. Now, because they owned that property in their own names, and they owned their own home in their own names, they lost a the lot, went bankrupt. Now, what could they have done differently, and why didn't the insurance cover them? Well, the fact is, the property should have been owned in a separate legal entity. Um, forget the negative gearing. There's better ways to be doing things than negative gearing. That's another. That's another podcast. That one. Um, but uh, what they should have done is um, made sure that the, their insurance was able to cover it. Now, the reason insurance didn't cover it is because they knew about the problem. They hadn't taken any, any action to fix the problem. Consequently, they were deemed to be criminally negligent. And I'm afraid insurance doesn't cover you in the case of criminal negligence. So they lost out. Um, they, uh, they lost their home. They lost everything. And it was a very similar case for the one in Queensland, very similar circumstance, except the back step was too high. It was an illegal height, didn't meet code, and they suffered the same consequences. So really super important to make sure you're separating out your assets and your liabilities. Uninvited guests. ah, dear. This is a very sad story. I've been recognised as a leading expert in asset protection for over 10 years now. And a lot of people come to me after the event and there's not much I can do for them, seriously. This guy comes and tells me his terrible story. He'd lost his wife to cancer a couple of years earlier and he wanted to do something to, um, to give back to the Cancer Foundation who had helped him and his wife through the whole ordeal. And rather than just make a donation, he bought this piece of land in the hinterland that overlooked the ocean, and he was going to build this amazing um, respite center so people could go there if they were going through chemo and eat organic food and be educated and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, he was about three quarters of the way through building this property when one of the young builders who was working on the job, he was so amazing at how beautiful this property was. He took his girlfriend out on a weekend to show her the property. Look, a building site is no place for a child. The child got injured. She fell down a three meter drop onto a concrete slab. She's injured. She's going to need ongoing medical attention for the rest of your life. Now, in this story, nobody wins. The child and the mother then sued the guy who came to see me. And he, you know, he was from the old school. He owned everything in his own name, this property and a whole heap of others. He was going to name the thing after his wife. It was going to be such a good deed he was doing, but he couldn't do that. See, we went to every barrister in the state and every barrister gave him the same advice. Mate, you're going to have to settle out of court because if you go to court, you're going to lose. And if you, um, you know, you'll probably end up going bankrupt because you'll have a legal bill you won't even be able to jump over. So that's what he did. He um, he went to, uh, he sold up most of his assets, he sold up this property before it was even finished. So the Cancer Foundation never got the property, never got to name it after his wife and uh, made a settlement with the woman. So what could he have done differently? Look, had had that property been owned in a separate legal entity, then um, he wouldn't have lost his assets. The child wouldn't have got a payout, mind you, but he wouldn't have lost the asset. It would only have been what he had tied up in that particular property. But more so, what he should have done is made sure that his insurance companies, that his public liability insurance particularly, covered uninvited guests. You see, had the um had the builder been injured he would have been covered but because that child was an uninvited guest i'm afraid he didn't have any asset protection at all so he lost the lot very sad but it you know that's a particular circumstance but the same could happen to you you could have a burglar break into your house slip on a kid's toy break their back and sue you for the house and get it happened on the gold coast actually there was a a a student of mine now wasn't at the time but is now who um, went out to dinner and he's got a dog, he's got a Rottweiler, keeps it in the house. The burglar broke into the house. Um, The dog attacked him and bit off his index finger. Now the the burglar fainted at the sight of his own blood. Um, So he's, you know, in and out of consciousness on the floor when the guy comes home and he's the dog sitting there beside him growling. He's like, you know, good dog, good dog. Calls the police, calls the ambulance, doesn't think anything more about it. Then about six or eight weeks later, a, um, uh, the, um, he gets a knock on the door and he gets served some papers and he's being sued by the burglar. Damages, punitive damages, pain and suffering, medical expenses and loss of future income because he's unable to work in his chosen profession. <laughs> he's a burglar for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, he um again, he, he went to the barristers, the barristers said, look, mate, just settle out of court. The Best way to get out of it. I think it ended up costing him about $50,000 or crazy. Look, as I said before, Sydney's just become the defamation capital of the world. So what that means is that uh, defamation is happening all the time. There's about 97% of all defamation uh, defamation cases in Australia are ordinary people. They're not celebrities. Everybody thinks they are, but they're not. About 97% of them are just ordinary people. Take this guy, a dentist did some work on his patient and uh, the patient didn't like what he'd done, so he uh, he, he made some disparaging statements about him on social media. The dentist sued the patient and won hundreds of thousands of dollars in defamation. A teacher had some disparaging statements made about her by her students. They said that she was a bully. Well, she showed them she sued their parents and won millions of dollars in defamation. And an ex-wife made some disparaging statements about her ex-husband. Well, I've got to say who doesn't, but uh, the ex-husband sued and uh, he won tens of thousands of dollars in defamation. Then you've got uh, the personal actions involving motor vehicles. Look, if you drink drive, if you forget to register the car, forget to insure the car, you drive somebody else's car that's forgot to register or insure it, uh, you forget to renew your license, you've got too many speeding fines that you haven't told your insurance company about, you drive with bald tyres, or your tyres are more than five years old, which can easily happen with a second car or a trailer or something like that, or a caravan. If you have an accident and hurt somebody, they can sue you for everything you've got in your name. So the objective here is don't own anything in your name. You wanna be as poor and penniless as possible on paper. <laughs> Separation of assets away from you, away from each other and away from your liabilities. And there's lots of ways to do that. Obviously setting it up the right way in the first place in prevention is better than cure is the least expensive. Trying to fix it down the track is more expensive, or at least it can be. I'm not going to cover that today. It's probably more of an advanced strategy as to how to protect existing assets that you've stuffed up on, which is what I cover in my seminars. Now, if you want to know more about that, you can go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. And I've set some appointments aside and all the details are here. You can see Um, you go on there, that link, you'll you'll be able to uh, get a free 60-minute consultation with one of my advisors to be able to talk about your goals, what you want to achieve and how we can help you with that, covering a lot of this stuff as well. So that that, um, address again is iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash and I'm giving you a free 60-minute interview to cover off on a lot of this stuff. So what have we got? We've got sole trader, very dangerous. Partnership, even worse. Company, good, but they pay double capital gains tax. Trusts, probably about 300 different types of trusts in Australia, and a superannuation fund, which is actually a type of trust. So let's have a look at these. Now, a sole trader, as we said, that's just an individual. You get taxed at individual tax rates. You've got to probably, you to have a, a, a registered for an ABN, which doesn't cost anything, but it has obligations. You may or may not need to be registered for GST. If you're you're doing anything that has an income of greater than 75,000, that's not profit, that's income. You have to be registered for GST and you are wide open for litigation. Partnership, worse. Again, you're being taxed at individual tax rates, which are higher. You're gonna need a registered ABN. You probably need to be registered for GST. You're open for litigation and you're even worse than a sole trader because both of you go down. Now let's talk about a company. Now company, you've got to be the director. So somebody's got to be the director or directors. And you've got shareholders. Now the shareholders have no no litigation obligations, but if you own those shares in your name and the company gets, uh, or you get sued, they can take the assets of the company away from you. So you don't want that either. The actual shares need to be protected. In a company, you do get the company tax rates, which are considerably less than individual tax rates. ABN, GST registration, separate legal entity, but the downside is it pays double capital gains tax. Now, let's look at trust. Now, I'm going to share three types of trusts with you. The first one is a discretionary trust. So in this discretionary trust, typically it's the best structure to have your houses owned in all of your properties. Make sure they're in separate trust. Don't put two into the same one because if something happens to one, you'll lose the other one too the owners of the trust are the beneficiaries. Now, the beneficiaries can be anybody. It can be everybody in your state, if you like, which would be silly to do, but it could be. Most discretionary trusts in Australia are actually family trusts. And they typically have mum and dad and three generations all around them that could, at the discretion of the trustee, receive any income or capital at any point in time. Now, there's a couple of other important positions that I want to talk about. The first one is the settlor. They are the one who sets it up. Now, there's three things you need to remember about them. Otherwise, the whole thing is invalid. Now, write this down. The first one is that they must not now or ever in the future be a beneficiary of the trust. And that includes marrying into any of your family group. This is where a lot of them come unstuck. The second thing is that they must not witness any of the signatories to the trust, a lot of solicitors and accountants screw this up all the time. And the third thing is that they, um, the settlement funds, which is how the thing is settled, it goes back to ancient England back in the 12th century when the knights of the land went off to war. Now, if they got killed at war, the king would take all the land back to the crown and their family was left penniless. If they didn't go to war, they were tried for treason and the king could take the land. So what they did was they set up this thing called no beneficial ownership. So nobody individually owned the land, but the family collectively did. So what that meant was that if they got killed, the knight got killed, they still kept the land in the family. So that was really the birthplace of of trust law in, in Australia. We don't settle land holdings into trusts anymore. What we do is we have this nominal fee of $10 or $20, which is called the settlement fund. So here's the third thing you need to write down. The settlement funds must be a gift or a donation. They cannot be invoiced for exchange for goods and services. So it's super, super important that you um, that you make sure that you've, you've set it up correctly. Otherwise, the whole thing's invalid. You may as well just have had it in your own name. You've got no asset protection. The biggie, though, is the appointer. Now, the appointer is the one who has the right to sack or appoint the trustee. Now, remember, the trustee must be a company, and you could have directors of that company, but the appointer can sack them. They can put somebody else in there. Now, the, the trustee company is the one who dishes out the money, so you better make sure you control the appointer as well. Now, in a general mum and dad scenario, you might have mum and dad or mum or dad, doesn't have to be both of them. In fact, sometimes for borrowing purposes, it's better to only have one of them, because then you've got the ability to be able to, um, you know, borrow more because if if you're both beneficiaries, you have to sign the loan documents, which is why you don't put your children in the deed either. They're automatically included in the family group. They don't need to have their name in there. Mum and dad or mum or dad could be the directors and mum and dad or mum or dad could also be the appointers. Now with the appointers, this is what you have to take care of for succession planning because when you die, this doesn't. So what you have to do is to make sure that somebody is going to take over control of the trust when you die and they're the ones who then have all the distributions of the beneficiary group and all the rest of it no stamp duty, no capital gains tax. And in every state except for New South Wales, there's no uh, contesting of the will either, which is kind of cool. New South Wales is a bit different with a lot of laws, but that's one of them. They've got notional wills in New South Wales. Okay, the next one is a unit trust. Now these are fixed entitlement trusts. The unit holders have fixed entitlements. So I might have 50% and you might have 50%, but I might have 80% and you might have 20% or vice versa. Now, the big thing here is whoever owns the units also needs to be protected because you need to make sure that if you get sued as an individual, you don't own those units because it's as good as owning that property directly. So the only way to do that is to put it into a no beneficial environment, beneficial entitlement environment, which of course is the discretionary trust. So your units should be held in the discretionary trust. And then you've got a hybrid. Now look, a hybrid has all the bells and whistles. It sounds like it's the bee's knees, but I don't want you to use it for property because it's too hard to borrow through. Every bank will, will lend your money into a discretionary trust, not a hybrid. There's only two banks that lend into a hybrid trust, so don't be using one of those. I like them for business, but I don't like them for, um, for the ownership of property. All right, so your typical structure might look something like this, if I was going to go and buy three properties, I'd have three companies with three discretionary trusts. And that's where I'd put my three free investment properties. Now the thing is here, when you own a company, somebody has to be the shareholder. And like I said before, you don't even want to own those shares in your name. So this is where another discretionary trust comes into play. And this is something that I call a piggy bank trust. Now there's no such thing as a piggy bank trust, it's just a name I made up. But the piggy bank trust is an ordinary discretionary trust, but it has one distinct difference. And that is that it has personal trustees, because it's the end of the line. It's the ultimate piggy bank. And it will own all the shares in all of your companies, units in unit trusts, everything indirectly, but nothing directly. If you're in business, you'd have another one over here with another corporate trustee and another discretionary trust. It might be a hybrid, it might not, because it's owning a business. Its shares would also be owned in the piggy bank trust. Now, for tax purposes, as you move along, you might not want to be distributing out of those discretionary trusts to individuals because they might be on a too high a tax bracket. So what you want to do is to have a thing called a corporate beneficiary. Now, I call it a bucket company, but its proper name is a corporate beneficiary. Now, the bucket company shares also have to be owned in the piggy bank trust because that's protecting the money that goes in there. And it's basically like your little deposit bank because it has tax paid money sitting in there paid at the lower tax bracket and it lends money out to other structures to go and buy more property. Now, look, I know that sounds like a bit of a, you know, clear as mud, but you don't need all of that on day one. You'll start off small and we'll build with it. And I've got a lot of advisors right around the country to help you out with this stuff. As I said, this is how the big boys do it. You know, Tinkler broke, but still controls $40 million worth of property. Well, duh, this is how it works. Bondi, when he went under, $60 million worth of assets. This is why trust law has been so strong. And I'm telling you, um, if anybody says to you that, you know, the trust law, you know, you can break a break a trust, they can't. This is 200 years of succession planning. And there's a beautiful, beautiful case that is so exciting that um, came out oh, a couple of years ago. Now, it was called Fordyce and Ryan. And we go by precedence at law. In this particular case, it was a single um, trustee, a single beneficiary and a single appointer who had got all the income for the, the life of the trust. And it was still held to be separate legal entity and not, no, no assets could be taken from it. So, you know, great, great um, opportunity to structure things correctly. But look, it's not all going to be the same. Everybody's different. And that's why, again, I want you to step up, get yourself educated and learn this stuff. And we can teach you that. So, uh, take up one of those free breakthrough sessions that I've got for you with 60-minute um, sessions they are, I love real, estate dot, uh, I love real estate TV forward slash questions forward slash, and you can have one of those free uh, free appointments. But it's not just about asset protection, you know, it's about getting out of cross securitization so the banks don't control you. You know, tax management, money management, debt management, you're creating a passive income that you can live on for the rest of your life. There's a lot to learn. Being able to do manufactured growth, be able to continue to build your, your empire. This is all the stuff that we cover. I really, really advise you to, uh, you know, to, to make it happen. The market is with you every week. I've been talking about the market. I've been talking about the market trends. I've been giving you all the hardcore economic stuff. Now's your opportunity to step up and really, um, you know, make your fortunes in the next few years. But for goodness sake, please protect them along the way. Now, a bit of a recap. We live in a litigation happy country. That's a fact. The onus is on the individual to protect their own assets, their livelihoods and their future. And really, only the lawyers win when it comes to litigation. We don't get taught this stuff in school or even university. Now is the time to step up and learn. It's a no-brainer, guys. Now is the time to act. And what you've got to do to act is take up one of those appointments. So, you know, success does require action and it's now time to make that happen. Go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. Got a little bit of a, a saying here by Pablo Picasso. And he says, action is the foundational key to all success. Whether we're talking about stepping up in real estate, building a fortune, replacing our income or painting a painting like he was. Ask yourself this if what you're doing today is getting you closer to where you want to be tomorrow. It's a good question to ask yourself at the beginning of every day, it's something I do. And if you do that, I know you're going to want to really take some action here. And that action requires you stepping up and, uh, and learning. And that, you know, we've been able to help thousands of students over the years, replace their income, build sizable portfolios, and most importantly, protect them. You know it's very easy to sit on the comfy couch a comfort zone is a beautiful place but nothing ever grows there you can sit on the comfy couch you can sit back and think that you're squeaky clean and you're comfortable and whatever else but what you don't realize is what you're missing out on and what you have at risk so please get off that comfy couch go on to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash get yourself one of those appointments. And they'll go through with you how you can take action, what how we can help you and how you can get these jolly assets that you built up and bought on your own name and other things and the ones you're going to buy in the future protected. That's it from me for this week, guys. I hope that helps. Um, I really wanted to cover that off rather than just do another economics one with you. Um, this will really help you lay the foundations and understand that this stuff is hugely, hugely important. So that's it from me, guys. Bye for now and I'll catch you next week. Bye now.